We all say we want to have a blessed life, but what does that really mean? Is it simply having a nice car, a big house, new clothes? What if a blessed life isn't what you think? What if it's more about what you give away than what you hold on to? What if it's more about the contents of your heart than the contents of your bank account? How do we really live the blessed life? Good morning. I'm so glad to see you. Glad to worship with those who are worshiping with us online and welcome them as well. Glad you could be here. Now, we had a great time at Trunk or Treat this week. It was a great experience. Here's what I learned. After the first service today, someone asked my wife, and they were serious. They said, can you come to Trunk or Treat if you don't have children? And they were serious. They didn't know. And, and so, you know, yes, the answer is yes. So we need to tell them next year, yes, you can come. You can't have any candy, but no, I'm, I'm joking. But really, it's for everyone, isn't it? Look at the person next to you and say, trunk or treat is for everyone. Go ahead and tell them. <clears throat> and let me just tell you, everyone was here. And I saw a lot of people that I've never, ever seen before. That, that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to reach people who may not be involved in a church family. And so they come and they bring their children. And I tell you what does my heart good. When they come up and the parents are with the kids and they come up and, and they say, okay, now we got, what are, the, what are those things called that you break apart and they glow? The glow sticks? Yeah, that's what they're called, glow sticks. I'm glad you knew that. And so they would, so they would come up to get those and get a bag and they would look at us and they would say, because I was, they assigned me to be in the welcome tent. They say, you go to the welcome tent and don't you leave. You stay in that welcome tent. Don't be going out there bothering those other folks. You be in the welcome tent. You say hello and goodbye and that's it, pal. That's all you know how to do. So I said, okay. So but what they would say, the parents would look at us and they would say, their kids would say, can I get a glow stick? And their parents would look at us and they would say, how much are they? And we would say, they're free. They're free. That always does my heart good because you know that some kids might not get some of that stuff if it costs something because their parents don't have anything to pay for it with. And so it was a real blessing. And, and you know, if you give kids candy and toys, they're happy. Have you noticed that? That's pretty much their whole world. Candy and toys or toys and candy. Either way, they're happy to get that, right? Well, they're blessed, aren't they? And we're blessed. Look at the person next to you. Show them your dental work and say, I'm blessed. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Yeah. How, how did they like your dental work? How'd that work out for you? So we really are blessed people, and we want to celebrate that. Now, we're in the fourth week of this sermon series about the blessed life. And so we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to talk about a word that you may or may not be familiar with. It may be a word that you heard before, but you're not really sure what it means. And it is the word mammon. Mammon. Let's say I'll say mammon together. Mammon, okay? Now, mammon only occurs four times in the New Testament in Jesus' teaching. And three of those times are in Luke, the 16th chapter, okay? The fourth time is in Matthew 6, where Jesus used the word mammon to indicate that he was talking about a demonic spirit or a false god. So that gives you kind of a clue about what mammon is. And we're going to look at the definition in a minute. But it says in Luke 16, And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, 
that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in, the, in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is the only phrase in the Bible where Jesus contrasts this so dramatically in talking about serving God and serving something else. It's really clear here. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So first, what is mammon? That's the first thing we're going to define for us. Now, that's the first point. Most people would say money, but that's not really true. The answer is a lot deeper than that. Mammon, and I catch this, I want you to listen to this. Mammon is an Aramaic word and it means riches, but it comes from the Assyrian god of riches. Jesus was referring to the false god that they knew. The Assyrians had a god called Mammon. It was a false god. And they borrowed this concept of the god of wealth from their Babylonian neighbors. Now listen, <clears throat> the term Babylon, Babylon means sown in confusion. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's what it means. And I want you to notice something interesting. Babylon's history and pride and arrogance goes back to the Tower of Babel. Did you know that? So the term Babylon means confusion. And what did God do to the people with the Tower of Babel? He confused them so that they couldn't communicate with one another because God said, now that they are unified. You see, the people were unified to build the Tower of Babel. It was not a good cause because they were saying, we don't need God, we're greater than God. So because of their arrogance and pride, you know, he said, now that they're united, nothing will be able to stop them. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. If people can get behind a cause that is not godly and be united behind that cause and nothing can stop them, can you imagine what would happen if God's people got united behind something that is God's cause that he wants to see accomplished? That's really what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. And if we are united as the body of Christ, there is nothing that can stop us. God can bless us as we work together. So because of their pride and their arrogance, God made them speak in different languages and they could not communicate to complete the Tower of Babel. That's in Genesis 11. So, he was saying, they were saying they didn't need God. They believed that they were self-sufficient. What is the spirit of mammon? It is an arrogance, a prideful spirit that says we're going to replace God with something else. 
We're going to replace God. We're going to take the place of God. We're going to be in charge. Mammon wants you to look at it instead of God. And here's the problem. Many of us grew up looking at mammon and we didn't even know it, thinking that things could make us happy. But I'm going to teach you something today that you may not realize. Things cannot make you happy. Look at the person next to you and say, things cannot make you happy. And you're sitting there and you've got mixed emotions. You're not too sure if you believe that. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. When you get something new, sometimes are you excited about it? Yeah. And you're kind of you're kind of excited, you're kind of happy about it. And do you ever show anybody else when you get something new? Look at my look at my new shoes. Look look at my new my, whatever it is, look at because we celebrate. But then what happens? Whatever we get becomes old. I'm going to teach you an example of this. What happens when you build a house? You build a house, you decorate the house, you get it all just so, and you just sit in the house and you're so thankful for the house, and you say, man, I really feel at home in this house. Isn't it wonderful? And you have your friends over and you say, this is it. Just bask in the glow of my house. Isn't it wonderful? And then go down the road just a little bit, and what happens? Just a few years down the road one day, you're sitting there and you look around and you say, boy, this is a dump. I've got to redecorate. I've got to redecorate. I'm just sick and tired of looking at all this stuff in here. I'm not happy. Hey, I'm telling you the truth, aren't I? And so what do we do? We redecorate and we're happy for a while. And then we get unhappy because we're in a dump again. See, things, I'm telling you, things ultimately won't make you happy. And Jesus says, you can't serve both God and mammon. You're going to be loyal to the one and despise the other. There's a message today called the prosperity message. And in that message, it says, if you give, you will get. But the problem with that is that that teaches us that the motivation behind that, I'm going to give so that I can get. The motivation behind that is selfishness and greed, and instead of living out of a life of giving, you're living out of a life of mammon. When people buy into the prosperity message and something goes wrong, they get mad at God because they're focused on mammon and they're not happy people. Jesus says, if you are loyal to mammon, you will despise God. Now, mammon promises things that only God can deliver. What are some things that God gives us that nothing else can give us? Security, significance, independence, an identity, power, freedom, happiness, joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so we get that from God. God is the only one who can give us those things. Mammon can never deliver on that promise what God can give. The reason we cannot serve God and mammon is very simple. They are opposites. They're not the same. They're totally different. Mammon tells us to take and hoard, and God says to give and trust. And they're two polar opposites. Mammon is selfish. God is generous. Mammon is a product of a fallen world, which is in sharp contrast to God and his ways. Mammon is the spirit of the Antichrist. 
Revelation says the Antichrist will attempt to dominate people through the use of, now listen, how's he going to do that? Through economics, through economics, preventing people from being able to buy and sell unless they submit to him. See, the brief rule of the Antichrist will come through the spirit of mammon. The spirit of the Antichrist does not rule through nuclear war. It comes in not being able to buy and sell. Throughout our lives, mammon is trying to get us to bow down to it, to serve it, and to worship it. But Jesus says, God is the only one who can provide us everything we need. Listen, God is our source. He gives us everything we need. You say, well, I had to work for a living. Well, who gave you that job? You say, well, well, I had to go to school. Who gave you the ability and the intellect to go to school? Well, well, I had to get out and physically, well, who gave you that physical ability to do that? You see, God is our source. And as long as God is our source, we know that we trust him. So we don't depend on anything else but God because ultimately he gives us what we need. Security, significance, identity, independence, power, freedom, happiness, joy, and love. Most of all, God gives us love. He shows us what love is. He teaches us how to love. Now, here's the big lie. Here's what people tell themselves all the time. Here's what they say. If I had more money, I could help more people. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Next time they say that, just give them a... No, don't do that. Money doesn't help people. God helps people. Jesus never told anybody what you really need is more money. Think about it. When the leper showed up, when the lame man came, when the blind man was there, Jesus never said to them in the Bible, you know what you really need is more money. What would money have done for any of them? It wouldn't help them a bit, would it? And so have mercy on me, son of David. You just need more money. Not once in Scripture does Jesus say that. We all have this thought. I either need God to come through at some time in our lives, or I need somebody to help me out financially. And if somebody would give me money, then what would happen? Well, if somebody did that, I would say, never mind, God. I don't need you. It's taken care of. I took care of it myself. I don't have a need for you. Now, second, is money evil? Is money evil? Money and mammon are not the same thing. Mammon is a spirit because it can talk. Did you know that? Did you know that mammon can talk? Think about it this way. You start to give an offering and you hear a voice that said, you better not give that. You'll regret it later. That'll be a big mistake. Mammon is a spirit that rests on money. All money has a spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God or it has the spirit of mammon. And the way that you and I get God's spirit on our money is to tithe and give God through his church the first 10% back to him. Why would you want the spirit of mammon on your money? That's something that the Antichrist uses, that the enemy uses. We don't want that. Money is not inherently evil. It's neutral. You can do good with money. You can do bad with money. People say, well, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. Look at the person next to you and say, wrong, wrong. That's not right. That's not true. Here's what the Bible really says. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love or the worship of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The idolatrous love of the spirit of mammon or the antichrist is evil. So when we serve mammon, we're saying that our focus is on greed and covetousness and selfishness, and we want to keep that in our lives. The key to breaking the spirit of mammon is by giving God his tithe to his church. When you tithe the first 10%, what does God do to the 90%? He blesses it, just as Carmen was sharing just a minute ago, and he invites you to come and be a part of him blessing and helping you. Money that is submitted to God in his purposes has God's spirit on it and cannot be consumed by the devourer. In other words, the enemy can't steal that because it belongs to God. In reality, God's spirit blesses it. On the other hand, money not submitted to God has the spirit of mammon on it. That's why people are deceived to think that money can bring them happiness or peace. Now, we can use money for unrighteous and temporal purposes, or we can use it for righteous and eternal purposes. Think about it. We're to use money. How would we do that for something eternal? For the souls that it become a part of the kingdom of God. All things in this world will be gone one day, but only the souls will remain. Look around, look around at the room today. Go ahead, check out the people here. If you're single, this is your chance right here. Go ahead, see them. All right, now look at them. These are souls, and the souls are what are gonna last, and that's what's important. That's what matters to God. That is what true riches are, is people. Let's look at the 16th chapter again. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, some people think that unrighteous mammon is just money. They think, well, I'll do favors to other, for other people and then they'll return that favor for me when I'm in need. That's what he's talking about. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you take unrighteous mammon and redeem it, you give it first to the house of God, then that money that Satan would use for evil is now used to build up the kingdom of God because people will be saved. And when you die, you will see people in eternity because you gave, you supported, you helped, you contributed, and it made a difference in their eternal home. In other words, there will be people in heaven welcoming you saying, because you gave, I'm here today. You gave to this missionary. The missionary came and brought the gospel to me. He shared the gospel and 47 people got saved and I was one of them. And if you had not given, then I would not be here today. And I want to thank you for that. Your money can be used to help people come to know Jesus. You say, I'm going to hang on to it. You'll never be able to bless somebody in eternity that way. But think about it this way. 
Think about doing things God's way and how you'll do more with it in this world than anybody else can do if you dedicate it to God, if you use it for the kingdom, because then he will bless it. I remember there was a woman and a man who owned a house next to the church in Navarre, and every year I would come and I would talk to them about buying their property because we wanted to expand the property. And I would explain to them the master plan, and I would tell them that we needed it. And as we would talk about it, they would say, well, okay, I want to sell it to you, but I'm not ready yet. You know what I used to tell them? I would say to them, you can sell this to anybody you want to, but I promise you this, we'll do more with it than anybody else will. Because what we do will be dedicated to God's kingdom and it will be used for God's kingdom and it will last for all eternity. And no one else can give you that. No one else can make that happen. So your money can be used to help people know Jesus. And God is the only one who takes unrighteous mammon and turns it into souls that are saved. Now, Robert Morris is a pastor, and he said that years ago, he and his wife, Debbie, would go out to eat. And that he liked to witness, but he was, he was shy about it. He didn't really feel comfortable doing it. So he would take these little gospel tracts, they explain the gospel, and he would lay them down on the table. And what he would do is he would put a tip there inside of that tract. And he would give a very generous tip. One time he said he gave a $50 tip, and he put it inside that tract. And the next time he came to the restaurant, that woman remembered him because he'd given her a big tip, but that was not the only reason. Because she looked at him and she said, I remember you and I remember your tip, but more importantly, I remember that little track that you gave me when you came. And she said, do you know what I did? I read that little track, that little pamphlet, that little booklet, and in there it taught me how to give my life to Jesus. And so I did that and I became a Christian. And then she said, and then I called my husband on the phone and I read it to him over the phone, and he too became a Christian. And Robert Morris said, well, why did you call him on the phone? Was he at work? Was he at home? Were you calling him from work? How, how come? And she said, no, and she hung her head. She said, my husband at the time was in prison. But in prison, when I read what you gave me, he became a Christian. And someday, Robert Morris said, I will see them in heaven, and they will say, thank you for that tip, for both of them, for the 50 bucks, but also for that little track, because it made all the difference in where I am spending eternity. Did you know that he and his wife, Debbie, were able to go and attend when that man and woman were baptized? What a blessing. Someday when you and I get to heaven, who's going to be there because we love them into the kingdom, because we taught them about Jesus? because we gave to God because they didn't know how to yet. And we made it possible for them to have a place to worship, to learn about God, and to learn what it means to give. And then they can begin to practice that. What I'm trying to tell you is God can take what we give and he can turn it into saved souls. And then third, what should I do with money? We need to be a good steward of what we have. God has given it to us. He wants us to use it wisely. Here's what some of you might think. Well, you know, I don't have enough, really, to do anything with it, that unrighteous mammon, so I don't really need to be concerned with this message. If I had more, I would probably be taking notes and listening more carefully. But this isn't really helping me, Joe. Let's talk about something I want to talk about. 
I want you to listen to me lovingly, okay? If that's your way of thinking, you will never have any more. It says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. To whom much is given, much shall be required. You see, you have to learn to use the blessings, the gifts, the things that God gives you in such a way that he trusts you with true riches. Now, here's what I'm saying. If God blesses you financially and you do something to be a blessing to somebody else, that's, that's one way to do it. But here's even more important. What are true riches? Look at the person next to you and ask them that question. What are true riches? Go ahead, ask them. I'll tell you what they are. Look at the person next to you and say, you, you. You see, if God can trust you financially with resources, he can trust you with his other children that, that they will come to know him because of your witness to them. Those are the true riches. The people around us, those are the ones who matter to God. If you have a little and you don't tithe, you'll never have much. If God gives us a little, he watches what we do. It's a way we can learn to trust him so that he might give us more. If he can trust us, then he can be a blessing through us to others. If we aren't faithful with a little, we will never have much. And it says, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And so you know that God owns it all. And according to Scripture, He has taught us that He reserves the tithe. God has set the tithe holy and set apart for Him. It belongs to Him. And we have two choices with God's tithe. We can either give it or we can steal it. Those are the only two choices. We can either give it or we can steal it. But that's the only two things we can do, and God will test us. Therefore, if you have been faithful, if you've not been faithful in your unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? If you haven't been faithful in your giving, how's God going to use you to bless somebody else spiritually? What are true riches? They're people. Look around the room. The things that you see here, those are the souls that will last. Why would God bless us if we don't give what we already have? Now, God wants our hearts. And he uses our time, our talent, and testimony. And, and all those gifts come from God. And he wants us to be good stewards in all those areas. Are you tithing your life to God? The nature of love is that he gives. You know, when you, when you do premarital counseling, one of the things you teach people is the five love languages. Our family, my wife, my daughters, and I, we took the test several years ago so that I would learn their love languages. And, and I studied and I paid attention so that I would know, so that I could use them. So here's what I learned. Laura's love language is acts of service. And boy, did she marry the wrong person. Because my father-in-law, the reason that that's her love language is he could fix anything. He was a handyman around the house. When he came home from work, he could just take things apart and put them back together again. Laura has a toolbox. They won't let me have a toolbox. 
Some people are a Mr. Fix-It. I'm a Mr. Break-It. Laura and the girls say, no, no, Daddy, don't you fix it, really. It's okay. We'll take care of that. I'm no good at it. So I have to think creatively, how can I show Laura through acts of service that I love her? And I have to find ways to do that. And I do it, and she feels love. Elizabeth, our older daughter, it's gifts, gifts that, that she received. That's her love language, and that just means a lot to her. Catherine, our younger daughter, it is quality time. You spend time with Catherine, she feels love. You know what mine is? I don't know, because I didn't care, because I don't have to keep up with that. I'm not in charge of that part. I'm just in charge of those three women that I live with, right? So that's what I do. Actually, Laura told me what it was. It is words of affirmation. So it's quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts and giving, and touch. Those are the five love languages. Now, here's a good question. Do you know what yours is? You might want to take a test and find out. But here's a better question. Do you know what God's love language is? If you want to speak to God in His love language, you have to know what it is. What is it? It's giving. It's giving. For God loved the world so much that he gave his son. God is a giver. He is generous. He wants us to be like him. And so we learn to give. You want to show God that you love him? Give. Be generous. Be like him. To defeat the spirit of mammon is to acknowledge and embrace what God has done and is doing in your life. It's a love gift in response to His gracious generosity. Why would the Heavenly Father bless you if you don't steward what you already have? Father, we thank You that You are a God who teaches us what to do by example. You show us how to give. You gave us the most precious thing You had. Because you loved us. You still love us today, even when we are unlovable. Lord, help us learn to be givers. Help us learn what it means to share. Help us learn what it means to invest in other people. Lord, by our giving people trunk or treat, it might be a way to do something physically for them so that later on we might have an impact on them spiritually. Because ultimately, what we want to see is we want to see people who are far from you come to know you. Thank you for giving us a front row seat to watch you work. Thank you for teaching us what it means to give. Help us to show our love to you and to others by giving. And we will give you all the glory and praise. Thank you for letting us participate. We all pray in your son's name and all God's children said, amen.